Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. Today we are going to be talking about Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog, which is a film based upon the novel by the same uh, title, written by Thomas Savage. And I can't remember off the top of my head what year he wrote this. I think it was like 67 or something like that. Um, But the premise of this film, according to IMDb, is charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. And I think that's a pretty good premise. Doesn't give away too much. Um, Frankly, I feel like this film, not a lot happens between the beginning and the end of the film in terms of a strong narrative, Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a lot there to unpack. And uh, at least from my standpoint, uh, when I, when I finished this film, I, I think I was kind of left wondering what's the big deal. Um, But as I have removed myself from that and it's kind of sat with me, um, it it has remained there and has got me really thinking about a lot of things. And I think one of the aspects of this film that probably isn't getting talked about enough um, from a critical standpoint is how Jane Campion as a filmmaker and as a screenwriter, she does not insult you as an audience member and kind of lets you figure some things out on your own and, uh, and challenges you as an audience member, which um, I know we've, we've had this, this discussion about previous films and how there are certain filmmakers that kind of just hand everything to you on a platter. And then there are those filmmakers that, that let you kind of sit with it and try to make some sense of it. And I feel like that is one of those films or the Mm -hmm. power of the dog is one of those films. What did you think, Danny? I agree with just about everything that you said. I I think that it sounds like a criticism maybe to say that there isn't a lot happening in this movie. And I think I, when I watched it, I ended and I was thinking, uh, it didn't, it, nothing, there was no big climactic moment in the way that I had expected, but there is a climax. There's a clear climax to this movie. And uh, I almost was expecting there to be some kind of big outburst, dramatic moment. And it it is all about relationships and the dynamic between characters. And that is why this movie is so good to me. I, I actually have seen it twice. Now I watched it the day after I watched it the first time because I was just thinking about it so much. And the, there's, like you said, a lot to unpack and it's because the character, each character has a lot of layers to it, to them. And those layers are, make them complex. They make them um, people that you can, empathize with but then also hate at the same time or you question their motives 
Um, and there's a lot of themes that are going on in this movie. Uh, there's uh, conversations that you could talk about with um, power dynamics, clearly conversations about masculinity, what it means to be a man, uh, conversations about um, what's the role of it, kind of the, the difference in class structure and things uh, within society. And all of those things are explored super well. And uh, the, to you, to your point that you made about Jane Campion being a really smart, intelligent screenwriter and filmmaker, she's inviting you into this world and allows you to kind of put the pieces together, but at the same time is not, uh, I, I feel like is not too ambiguous. She leaves enough clues there to give you kind of a clear idea of what she's going for. It doesn't feel like I, I, di I didn't feel that first time, like, I don't know what to think. I just was like, wow, that was uh, just different than I was expecting. And it really stuck with me. Um, the other thing that I'll say about her as a director is every single part of the movie matters, I would say. There's not a wasted moment in this movie. And I mean, you can feel free to disagree with me on that, but I felt like the characterization is so important to how this story plays out. And so spending such intimate scenes, sometimes literally intimate, but then just getting to know these characters over a period of time is really important for how this story ends up playing out. So I actually gave this a 10 because I thought it was a pretty much perfect movie and I didn't have really anything to, um, to, knock it down a peg. And so this is my only 10 of the year so far that I've given. I gave this movie a nine. Um, I, I wanted to give it a 10. Uh, I, so th the thing that's kind of weird about this is that um, where this film has some strengths, it also, there, there are some negatives in my opinion to that strength. And I'm going to talk real quick about just a couple of the bad, the things that I didn't like as much um, or that they kind of held this back. I shouldn't say that I didn't like it, but um, where it, it, it didn't connect with me maybe on the level that I, I was hoping that it would. And the first thing is that I don't really think any of the characters are overly likable. <laughs> and uh, it, it was hard for me to, um, truly empathize with them, um, even though I really wanted to. Uh, and I, I, there, there's kind of this coldness, this coldness to uh, these characters, um, even when they are, are not necessarily trying to be cold. I don't know. It just, it, it, it came across to me as being somewhat cold in, in that way. Um, and then also, I think because some of it is left out there for you to connect the dots, um, there, there was a little bit of development in terms of the characters that I wanted a little bit more. Like I wanted, I wanted to see a little bit further inside some of these people and maybe that would have helped uh, my perception that they are unlikable. Um, 
if if we got just a little bit more and and like i said maybe that's a, actually a strength um because it as a uh audience member you kind of like are g- grasping for more and if she gives you everything then uh w- what is the movie worth um in the end um so that is the only thing that i i can say that really really holds this this film back um but uh, it has a, a lot, a lot, a lot to like. And I think that uh, we can talk about some of those things. So where would you like to start, Danny? Uh, I, I think that we should start. Well, it also depends on how spoilery we want to get with the, the discussion. I, I, I'm kind of erring on the side of we can talk about some things because this isn't, again, a heavy narrative story. But I won't talk about kind of the bigger things towards the end of the movie um well we'll stay away from that because it definitely we don't want to spoil this i want to start with just the performances in general um we have basically four characters that are the main focus of the movie and outside of those four characters there really isn't too many other actors that are coming in and out i mean there are other people but they don't get a lot of focus and um Let's start with, I think, Kirsten Dunst's performance because we, you had mentioned that these characters aren't super likable um, and maybe it's because we don't know them super well. I think that the, the men, the three men in this story are very guarded and that's just by the nature of who they are. But for Kirsten Dunst's character, she is pretty open and I think she is showing that vulnerability so well. And you already get the sense when you meet her that she's a vulnerable character in the sense that she's in a position that is not great for a woman at this time who is now a widow. And then she becomes vulnerable in the sense that she is basically prey to a predator in her own house. And she doesn't have a whole lot of control over that. And so now it's kind of this, uh, and you can see how that, kind of deteriorates for her. And I think that she portrays that very well. I think that that she is the character I wish, because she is open, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more depth to her kind of spiral. Um, it, does, it seems like it kind of just happens. And so I think that maybe that's an area where I would critique the script or the screenplay, but it's pretty, I mean, it's already a two hour some uh, long movie and so I think adding much more would slow it down too much you know so um, what did you think of Kirsten Dunn's performance? Um, I think it's very good I think it's kind of under understated to be completely honest um, it does she doesn't have like that big steam scene stealing moment um, that uh, maybe some of the other people in this this film do have Um she's kind of the anchor I think a little bit at times and Mm -hmm. uh I know that she is probably going to get an Oscar nomination for this film and I can't necessarily argue with it but if she were to go on and win for this 
Um, I, I don't think that this is the sort of performance that is super award worthy when I know there are definitely other fantastic supporting performances out there um, that I, I think uh, have a little bit more to them. Um, but yeah, she does an excellent job in this. I don't have any problem with the performance. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best, so she has two sequences and one of them I'm not going to say much about, but and it's more towards the end that I think is really good. But there's another sequence where she's dancing with uh, Jesse Plemons' character, George. And that the, the you can see that she's more than just kind of a prop for the story in that moment. She's She is an important role to him and he needs her. And so that makes her role in the house that much more important because it makes her, puts her in a tough decision. She loves this guy. But at the same time, while loving him, she has to accept his brother, who is openly hostile towards her. Well, and so that that uh, creates so, such good dramatic tension for the movie. And uh, I think her seeing the way that she kind of is playfully kind of wants him to dance. And then that scene, that really great scene where he just says, feels good not to be alone anymore. Yeah. And their connection makes you buy uh, into that. And then it matters so much more moving forward. Yeah. I mean, she, she kind of plays this uh, opposite role to Benedict Cumberbatch's Phil, his character, Phil Burbank, um, where uh, the character of George kind of gets both sides there and Mm -hmm. everything that he doesn't have in his brother, he can find in her. Um, And and I think that that's really, really important. Um, But at the same time, the character of George is also very, very understated and we don't get much to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's kind of just the pivoting (laughs) character between uh, Kirsten Dunst's Rose and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Phil and kind mm-hmm. of uh, this this in-between character. Right. It, and, but I think that that's the sort of thing that Jesse Plemons does well. He's never going to be a leading man type actor, I don't think. He needs to play something that facilitates the story in a way. And he's kind of uh, a... You know, he, he's, he's like a version of F- Philip Seymour Hoffman, who doesn't ever get the leading role. You know what I mean? Because Philip Seymour Hoffman's so good at playing that utility role within the movie that just like moves the story forward, you know? And I, yeah. I, I admire that type of actor because um, he isn't stealing the show. He's just playing the role he needs to play for the movie. I think also he has to be at least pretty, he has to have chops to be able to go up against uh Benedict Cumberbatch in these scenes because that character is so kind of uh, brash and in your face. And you don't really get the sense that even though there's clearly one of them has more power than the other, at the same time, uh, George, the character of George is the kind of the bit runs the business of their family. And you don't get the sense that he's really gets pushed around he gets pushed around literally maybe, but like, he doesn't like actually, it doesn't impact him that much. He's going to do what he wants to do anyway. And so 
you need an actor who can pull that off. And I think that uh, Jesse Plemons does a good job. I agree. I agree. I mean, he, he's fine. He's not getting any awards love for this. Uh, I mean, I suppose there is a, uh, a scenario where he somehow sneaks in and gets a supporting uh, nomination, but it's probably very unlikely because there is a bigger supporting role on this mm-hmm. um, played by uh, Cody Smith McPhee, um, who plays Peter uh, Rose's son. And this is just a very, very interesting character. And frankly, I, I think that the casting is good because uh, Cody Smith, Smith McPhee is kind of just a strange person. Like he looks mm-hmm. a little strange and he plays this character in sort of a strange way. Uh, and um, it, it, it works. I, it's, it's, there's nothing super flashy about the performance, but he hit some of these little moments really, really well. Um, and because of that strangeness, the character just kind of uh, sticks out like it, it does. Yeah, I would say this is a performance that I think upon the second time watching it, it, it almost bumps up a little bit because it just seems you, you pay attention to things a little bit closer the second time around. And you get to see some of the nuances with what he's doing. I don't think that it is maybe, I guess if he got nominated, I would be like, okay, that that's good. But I, I guess I don't, I could see where there would be other uh, performances this year that are maybe more worthy of being nominated. Um, I, again, I, I didn't think that he was doing anything that another actor maybe couldn't do. Um, and I think a lot of what makes his role in the movie so important is just the writing and the role yeah. that the, the character plays within the story. And um, you, you are deliberately kind of left in the dark about certain things as an audience member. And his character is, I mean, I wouldn't say his is the most interesting, but it is surprising how interesting his character becomes throughout the story. Yeah. And, um, you, I think the second time around, you're paying attention, more attention to him than Phil Burbank, which is the star of the show. I mean, Be- Benedict Cumberbatch is very much deserving of the praise that he's received so far of the, of his performance in this movie. I think that, uh, this is probably the best performance I've seen from him in any movie yet. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, he, he is absolutely fantastic in this movie. And if for no other reason than to see his performance, um, he, <laughs> he, he shows that he can be a legitimate bad guy that like, I, there are moments where he is just creepy as all get out. Um, and then there are moments that are very tender uh, where he kind of is able to uh, show this show a little bit of that vulnerable side. And so we kind of get to see a, a character that that has different emotions. Um, but mostly this character is pretty stoic. Um, and I, I don't know, he, Benedict Cumberbatch is just a very, very good actor. Uh, mm-hmm. right now, I think that he is probably going to win best actor for this. Um, I think he's going to end up beating Will Smith out. Um, 
it just seems like that's kind of the way things are going. And, you know, I, I can't be, be too upset about that. It'll be, it'd be nice to see somebody play a character that isn't a real person and kind of has some nuance to it and isn't just some character uh, get rewarded for a fantastic performance. Well, and, and there's so much subtext to his character and he had to do a lot physically with this performance. And there's so much with the way he, his posture, what his posture is, how much room he takes up. He's instantly, you know, you notice him in a room, the way he stomps around. And those are sound things that play a role as well. But um, it all comes from his performance and it's informed those decisions to kind of really emphasize the way he's stomping around. It comes from the, the performance he provides. Um, there's a really great scene that happens about close to midway through the movie that is like a dueling musical scene. And it's like one of the best scenes I've seen this year, just because it is all about visuals. There's no dialogue. It's, just kind of creating tension in a completely unique way that you don't see this sort of thing happen really. And it also gives us new information about the characters that we don't know. Phil Burbank is a character that you will continually learn new things about throughout the movie. And uh, it is that sort of storytelling that really draws me in and the more complex it gets, the more I'm like, I am just all in. And uh, I think it takes a really stellar actor to pull this off. And I was definitely charmed by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely fantastic performance. And like I said, if for no other reason, uh, it is worth seeing this film for that performance because he is um, absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think though, this may be a good pivot point because we've already been talking about it a lot to talk about, uh, Jane Campion's writing here and how she adapted this, this book, which I, I'd be very interested in reading this book now because I would like to know more about these different characters, um, and kind of see how the book further develops some of these characters or how they portray them. Um, but you are right. A lot of what we get from this is what we see, um, maybe more than what is being told to us. And the way that these performers kind of play off of each other. And almost the entirety of the film has kind of this tension that runs through it. Um, that you don't really get that that release until the the film is over um where where it just it kind of it builds but it they're not like these uh extreme moments of tension that you maybe get in some other films uh, it just kind mm-hmm. of builds and builds and builds and uh but it's there throughout the entire thing and the tension's a little bit different from scene to scene but it, it is constantly there and yep. i think that some of it is the way that it is shot and edited and put on the screen in these performances. But a lot of that is the way that the f- film is written and uh, what we are given in each of these scenes. And like you said earlier, um, there isn't a lot of empty 
uh, scenes in the, in the film. Everything kind of has a purpose. And uh, because of that, it allows for that tension to continue to build. And something that is I obviously, I'm sure, is part of the book, but is such a pivotal part of the story is this is has to be one of the best examples of a, a character that's never seen in the movie playing a pivotal role in the story, and yep. that's Bronco Henry. Yep. And every time you hear Bronco Henry's name, it's, it's the fact that he has played clearly such an influential role for the Phil Burbank character that like it is it, you you get the sense of this deep history and i think that is a testament to the writing and whether that's thomas savage or if that was just they really leaned into it when jane campion wrote it uh or adapted it i i think that that is definitely a huge part of what makes this narrative really interesting oh yeah i agree and i want i'm curious if the book expands a little bit more on this character and if we get um, a little bit more of a backstory to Bronco Henry. Um, we get very, very little. We, we get a little bit more as the movie goes on about who this person is, um, but it's still kind of a mystery. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of just put together some pieces to try to, to try and kind of figure out who he might be. Um, and we, we see, basically what we learn about Bronco Henry is through what we see from Phil Burbank and right. kind of the way that he uh, carries himself and the way that uh, he continually goes back and talks about Bron- Bronco Henry. Like he, he wants to talk well, about him all the time. And it's interesting because He's the only one, there's multiple people who, or I guess one other character, George, who knows Bronco Henry. Right. But he's not ever talking about Bronco Henry. It's just Phil. And Phil's a character that we are, you know, from the get-go, weary of. We, we feel like we should not trust this guy. And so that reflects so much about maybe who Bronco Henry is as a character as well. And so, I don't know, I, I think that that device from just a storytelling aspect of using some other person as kind of a a tool to help us learn about this character and what they value. And if they're idolizing this guy and why are they idolizing him? That gives us new information about the character that's idolizing. And so again, that just, this is all about character development. The whole movie I think is, and it, it comes down to the writing. Um, Another thing that's interesting that the writing does, and it probably is because it it, it does feel very novel-esque in the way that it's told, Um, but they do tell it in kind of these chapter structures. And that I think allows it to do some things and give it some freedom as a story. So it, it allows us to see, well, there's probably some time that passed between this chapter and this chapter. And so it helps with the editing of the story and it helps with the pacing of the story. You kind of feel like you're in a different phase of the story a little bit. And so that's like one of those things where you're willing to sacrifice a little bit that we didn't see Rose's played by Kristen Dunst, her deterioration into alcoholism. You kind of sacrifice that because there's a chapter break, you know? And so I think that that was a really important move from James Campion. Yeah. um, Yeah. I think that it helps to kind of piece 
put together the pieces. And I think that that comes down to good editing too, is that it allows for us to understand what is happening simply by kind of breaking it up in that manner. Um, from a, a craft standpoint and how this is put together, um, between editing and cinematography and just the way that the scenery looks and the uh, costuming and all of that. Um, the film is nearly perfect. Uh, the cinematographer, Ari Wagner, she's the same cinematographer who shot uh, Zola. And so she's put together two really good films this year in terms of cinematography. Wow. Um, the framing in this movie is absolutely amazing. Uh, the, the way that we kind of see what's going on outside through different windows um, and kind of the contrast between light from a darker interior to a lighter exterior, I thought was absolutely beautiful. The captured landscape, which is supposed to be Montana, but it was shot in New Zealand. Yeah, um, it's beautiful. It's, I would say, one some of the best landscape shots and specifically the way that shadows move over those landscapes and the lighting. And I, I don't know if they added that after production or if that's just natural lighting that they just are adjusting coloring and stuff but it's beautiful well i mean one of the major kind of uh a part of the plot is the shadowing of the mountains and how yeah. it uh um makes it look like a barking dog in the mountains and yep. and so yeah yeah i don't i i imagine that that was probably put on there because I, I can't imagine they were able right. to uh, right. find a mountain that made it look but there's, that way. but there's even just the way the clouds move in the sky right. it's, it's amazing well, uh, another aspect of the cinematography I wanted to talk about is this movie the the close-ups in this movie and the inserts are so important and I don't mean just like on people's faces I mean what people's hands are doing specifically yeah. Phil Burbank's hands there's so much attention to how he's using his hands. Um, and uh, I think that we're, we're supposed to see Phil Burbank as this kind of outwardly gruff guy, but he's really delicate and meticulous with the way he uses his hands. And that is such an interesting way to give us insight into his character. Well, here and here's the thing that I think is really interesting because um there is a there's some sexual tension within the film but there is not i i don't think there's any actual sex sex scenes there's, <laughs> there's only a scene that occurs off screen it's happening in another room yes yeah that's that is the only but they don't show any actual sex happening and the, the thing that I found really interesting about some of these up close shots is there's an intimacy to them and there's almost this uh, kind of sexual uh, capturing of something as uh, simple as just the way your hands touch something. Yes. And uh, there's, it's, I will say there's, there's a sequence where Phil Burbank hears his brother having sex in the other room. And just after that, he starts to clean a saddle. And just the way he's cleaning the saddle feels erotic yeah. in the way that they shoot it. Does. 
it does that that is is it it, there's a reason for that it's not just random but it's purposeful it is interesting the how well they use those close-ups and how much that has an impact on the story without a doubt um yeah the the cinematography is beautiful in this film it will surely get nominated uh there are a lot of really good uh cinematography or cinematographers that will be nominated this year and so i don't know if this is going to win but um it would be a it it certainly would be worthy uh worthy winner if it if it did end up winning um and like we said earlier the editing is fantastic in this as well just the way that it's put together um and kind of putting certain things side by side with other things um yeah, it's, it, it is very, very well crafted and it shows that Jane Campion is a master filmmaker um, and I think she's the favorite right now to win Best Director and I think that out of everything that we have seen in award season up to this point, if I had to make one prediction that I think is take it to the bank, um, I would say that Jane Campion winning Best Director is the one that I'm most confident in. And I think she deserves it from what I've seen so far. Again, there's more to see still for me, but yeah. I, I am, I'm in awe with just how, how uh, economic she is with the time in the movie. And there's a lot of times where I feel like there's fluff in a movie that I enjoy, but doesn't ultimately add a lot and yeah. there's no fluff it is all there you every detail is important and that is i think that a testament to a really good filmmaker you know um this movie this movie uh reminds me a lot of a paul thomas anderson film uh and it fit to me i f- just felt very much like this was phantom thread uh yes. like it has it, it's similar kind of in the way that um it it doesn't have this really strong narrative and it's all about characters and the way they interact with each other and what we learn about them as the film goes on Mm -hmm. and it's just filmmaking at at one of its highest points and so yeah um, well yeah and it's interesting to compare it to a paul thomas anderson movie because i think that in a paul thomas anderson movie we would maybe get a lot more outward uh examples of you know violence or whatever that person's feeling but you get the sense that a lot of the feelings are being just really tampered and pressed down in this movie and so it puts so much more emphasis on the actors being able to show that they're they are performing this but there's something down beneath that is they're not showing and um that makes for some really interesting scenes um uh Something that this does have in common with uh, Phantom Thread is that this is uh, scored by Johnny Greenwood. And uh, I am, again, very biased. I I love Johnny Greenwood's uh, compositions. But right now, this is my favorite score I've heard this year because it is, first of all, feels like it fits the theme of the movie and what that where this is taking place. It thematically works it also is uh the most different sounding score i've heard this year 
maybe with the exception of Dune, I thought that was pretty different. Um, but I think that this is uh, enabling the performances and the drama to really work. And there's uh, a couple sequences where even though the music isn't memorable, maybe it is facilitating the story in a really important way. Yeah, no, it's a absolutely fantastic score and uh, it will certainly get nominated. They released the shortlist today for a few of the Oscar categories. Score is one of them and this ended up on that shortlist. Um, as expected, I think it will make the final five. Uh, Johnny Greenwood might end up getting two scores into the final five because Spencer is also on that shortlist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... The Spencer score is very good as well, but uh, I I think that what is maybe most impressive about this is that they are so different from one another um, and the tone uh, that he is able to provide is is pretty incredible. Um, And I I noticed it immediately when the film started that his his score kind of sets a tone for yep. the film and you get a feel for what 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 this this film is going to be like simply because of that score um so yeah if he i, I imagine that it will probably probably be between him and Hans zimmer for the dune score for uh best original score um my gut still tells me that dune score is gonna win just because it's super in your face Um, like it it is definitely a big part of that film in terms of uh everybody who sees that movie walks should walk away and recognize that the score is an important part of that um right this is maybe a little more nuanced but uh yeah musical the musical cues in dune are so important too yeah it's got and those are pretty memorable too yeah um what what other things do you want to talk about here i i feel like we're kind of nearing the end of this discussion what do you you want to bring up um unfortunately there's some of the things that i think uh could be really interesting to talk about would require some spoilers um but i think that the film does have a lot to say about masculinity um and i Honestly, that is probably what makes this film uh, more relevant today. Uh, It's something that I think as a society, we are still grappling with um, what makes somebody or something masculine and Mm -hmm. uh, does it matter? And this film that is such a central theme to the way that it operates. And I think the fact that a woman is making this and portraying it um, when the said, when three of the four main characters are all men um, I I found that to be very, very interesting. Uh, This kind of, narrative or dialogue about about masculinity that takes place throughout the film like you don't feel like that you know I, I i think she told this story you know probably true it's an interpretation of thomas savage's story i'm sure but i'm i i feel like it is not uh something that only a woman's perspective on ma- I mean there are dis- all sorts of discussions well, that anybody could have about masculinity within this movie and it's not like it's 
telling you this is the way. It's just saying these are the types of men that exist in our world. And this is just what it looks like to different people. And uh, I think that is an interesting way to go about it. It's not telling us what is right or wrong. Well, and without going too far and uh, spoiling anything, I think there are moments within the film and ultimately even as the film ends and you're thinking about it, where you almost have to check your interpretation of how we view individuals and kind of what assumptions we make Mm. about them Um, because the film sets you up to want to make certain assumptions about characters and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're valid Um, but it kind of shows how we interpret these things through our societal lens. I know that uh, Wait, what's the author's name? Thomas, Thomas Savage. Savage. Yeah, Thomas Savage. Um, I think I read that when he wrote this, he was a closeted gay. Um, clo- he, he was closeted. And so like he wasn't out there. But clearly there, I would imagine that he wanted to make a statement about the way in which we uh identify somebody as being masculine and kind of what that means yeah the i i think that this type of uh story that lends that allows you to kind of reflect on yourself a little bit in the way you make assumptions about people is um what makes really good cinema it's not something that you forget about after you see it, you're thinking about it. And um, one last thing that I'll say is that we enter this movie very much. It feels like we're not literally, but we're, we're kind of in the perspective of Phil Burbank. We are looking at the world through his eyes. And by the end of this movie, we are kind of not looking. We have our perspective has changed a little bit and we might have a little bit more of an objective or uh maybe less objective in some ways, but we see things maybe for what they are and not kind of just the surface level stuff anymore. And um, I think that that, again, is an interesting way to tell the story. And uh, this movie just really worked for me. It's also a movie that I know maybe people won't go for, but I I would encourage a lot of people to give it a try. If, If you have Netflix just try watching it. And if, if you're not in love with it, I know it can be slow at times, but if you like dramas, this is, this is like a, a play in some ways, you know, yes. a, a play couldn't do what this does because the visuals play such an important role, but just the dramatic tension that is happening between characters is so good. And it's some of the best stuff I've seen this year. So please consider watching it. <laughs> Um, I think that as of right now, this is now the new front runner for best picture. Um, the thing that's going to be interesting is you said that it is on Netflix as up to this point, the Academy has not been willing to give a Netflix film best picture, even though there were times where, um, it seemed like that there were a couple Netflix films that could have been the front runner. And so it's going to be interesting to see if that plays a role, um, but I, I think right now it, it seems like it's between maybe four different films for best picture. Um, and this right now, I think 
I believe is the leader. Um, and I think Belfast has maybe lost a little bit of steam. Um, we'll see if it has some second legs under it, but yeah, between, uh, power of the dog, Belfast, um, licorice pizza and West side story. Those are the four that I think have a shot to win best picture. Well, I'm excited to see Belfast. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I know that's been a long, long <laughs> time ago that we were planning on that, but yeah. Uh, another film that kind of has fallen out that seemed like for a while, like it could maybe be a threat is King Richard, which I haven't seen. And I am so disappointed. I waited too long and now it's no longer on HBO max. Cause it, it is it. It's it wow. passed 31 days. So uh, I will either have to see it in the theater or it will make a return. I just, I don't know when it's going to make its return back. So I'll Dude. catch some of the other movies and then swing back around and hopefully it'll be back on HBO max by the time that it comes back around. Yeah. I was, I was banking on watching that here in the next couple of weeks. Cause yep. yeah, I was actually going to watch it tonight and found out that <laughs> it is no longer on there. So, um, if a movie is currently on a streaming service, you better go watch it just in case it gets pulled off because that's part of actually it's the only HBO max where that's the case. They have a 31 day window, then it comes down for a while and then it will eventually go back up. But um, that's kind of where we're at with that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, I do have a little bit of catching up to do in terms of some of the, the best picture noms, uh, po possible best picture nominees. Uh, I still want to watch Nightmare Alley. I know that you've got a chance to see Nightmare Alley. So I will be seeing that here probably tomorrow. Um, and then uh, Licorice Pizza comes out this weekend. Uh, Don't Look Up will be on Netflix this weekend. Um, those are two films that are probably in play for, for best picture. Um, and then, uh, yeah, King Richard, King Richard's the other one that I have to, I have to see. And then there are a few that are kind of on the fringe, but, um, I feel like I've mostly tried to, to see a lot of the big time movies. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about a few of them once you, you get around to seeing it and I see Nightmare yeah. Valley, we'll, we'll definitely have some conversations about that. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So until next time, have a great week um, and, and go check out Power of the Dog. Do it. See ya.